This morning, we are going to get into part four of our study on the early church where it is the series that we are calling Ecclesia. Ecclesia means the church. Amen? So, before we get started, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share this word this morning. I am excited to share it. I'm excited to preach it because it is inspired by your presence. It is inspired by your scripture. Lord, let everything I speak be according to your word, according to your glory. Lord, that it would be only for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we are continuing to look at the early church and how it applies to the modern church. How does it apply to us? How does what they did then apply to us now? What can we learn from them? Where are we failing in our understanding of the responsibilities of the church. Last week, of course, we celebrated mothers. That was a blessing. Some people don't want to celebrate mothers. It's okay. <laughs> She's okay. <laughs> hey, how many like hearing all the babies in here? We got all sorts of kids going on, all sorts of babies. We got, of course, the nursery ministry meeting, and then we're working on children's ministry starting up too. Be in prayer for that, uh, for nursery as well as children's. Uh, we got some things in the works, and we're praying about some things. And so uh, we want to be able to bless our children. Amen. So we celebrated Mother's Day, and then we saw the, the week before that, Doug, we saw the account of Peter and John at the gate with the lame man. Uh, we saw how they were arrested, and then they were freed, but they were freed with a mandate not to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are freed with a caveat. So we left them after they had prayed, and the room was shaken by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pick up in Acts chapter 4, and verse 32. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. Say in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace, a great grace, was upon them all. I like what this one commentary said. It said they recognized God's ownership of everything. How many know God owns it all? Right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? He owns it all. It, it all belonged to God and His people. But because God had touched their lives so deeply, they found it easy to share everything in common. So when we recognize that God has given us all we have, we hang on to it loosely. When we recognize that God has given us all we have, we can hold on to our possessions loosely. We don't become overwhelmed by the thought of giving, right? Instead, it becomes a freeing act of worship in knowing that since God gave it to you in the first place, He can always bless you with more. Amen? If you've been a parent, how many, how many are a parent? Right? How many have been a parent for, uh, if you've been a parent for some amount of time, you've most assuredly had this same experience that I've had with my children. So uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was now, my son was at home and he was sitting. My son has wide eyes right now. He doesn't want me to talk about him in any way. 
but he was at home and he was sitting on the kitchen table at the kitchen table not on the kitchen table that wouldn't be appropriate uh, at the kitchen table and he had a snack and i think it was chips and of course i walked up and took a chip and put it in my mouth and i ate it and i went to go grab another chip and i noticed something that my son had his hand covered over the plate and he was guarding his food and he was kind of he he actually kind of shifted where he was so that in in relation to me so that i wouldn't take anymore now in truth my son is a very generous kid and we normally share food and drinks and things like that but on this occasion he felt it was necessary to act as if i was going to eat all of his precious chips the truth is i had no intention of eating all of his chips but even if i had How many know there's more where that came from? Right? Listen, I really had no intention. The truth is, even if I ate the whole plate of chips in front of him, there was still a bag filled with chips in the pantry. He could have gotten more. And I said to him, I said, I said, son, don't you understand? This is just a little bit. There's a whole bag. And I was more than willing to bless him with more. So many times we try and hold back from God. So many times we try to guard and we try to get away from, we don't want to talk about money. Don't you talk about money, Pastor David. I mean, you talk about money, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be having words. Or we're not going to come anymore. This isn't comfortable. Listen, you know I don't talk about this often, right? But we should be willing to give freely and generously as God directs us because he gave it all anyway. This is where the amens get a few far between. He gave it all anyway. And should he ask of all you have, please know that he's got a big bag of chips in the pantry for you. The early church recognized who blessed them and who would continue to. My question is this. Do you recognize who blesses you? Do you recognize where it comes from? Do you give out of an act of, well, I guess I just have to do this? Or do we give freely as an act of worship? Not just of our finances, but out of our giving, out of everything. Out of our service to each other. Do we guard it closely? Or do we say, Lord, thank you for enabling me to give? The early church saw this and they gave their all for the kingdom. It says this in verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Go to the next slide. And laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this fellowship and communal living has a word associated with it, and it may not be the word you think. So the word is koinonia. Say koinonia. 
And it means this. It means Christian fellowship and communion. Koinonia means Christian fellowship and communion. I remember studying this in college. And uh, someone that I was with in college said uh, that he, he thought that this was communism. He said, well, this is communism. But to confuse koinonia with communism would be a mistake. One pastor said it this way. Communism says, what is yours is mine. I'll take it. Koinonia says, what is mine is yours. I'll share it. Communism says, I'll take it. Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion says, what's mine is yours. Let me share it with you. It has to do with the heart of the matter. I have a question. Have you ever met a Christian that just gave? I mean, just gave, right? They gave and gave, not just in money, but I mean, they really blessed people with what they had, right? I mean, I don't mean, listen, I mean, it could be almost anything. Just let me bless you. Just let me bless you. They put dollar bills in your hand. They put $20 bills in your hand. I once had somebody put $100 bills in my hand. Just wanted to bless you. We used to call that a Pentecostal handshake. In case anybody wants to shake my hand after the service, you're more than welcome to. So what does it mean to give all you have? Does it mean that we're to sell everything we have and live in poverty? No, of course not. But, but listen, truly blessed people understand that God has blessed them with what they have. And the more and more they bless others, it seems the more and more they're blessed. It shouldn't make sense, and in the world system, it doesn't make sense. But when you operate in kingdom principles, you're going to get kingdom returns. Amen? How many know there are some people, there's a bit of a rabbit trail, who are not believers, but they give according to kingdom principles, and they get kingdom returns. They're just givers and givers and givers. We call them philanthropists, right? And they just give and give and give. And you go, how in the world does that person keep giving and giving and giving and, and, and they keep getting more? Because they're operating, even though a lot of times they don't know it, they're operating in kingdom principle. And therefore, they're getting kingdom returns. There are some Christians, how many know, there are some Christians who can't stand to give. How many know some of those? Don't all raise your hands at once. How I many know there's some Christians who don't just don't want no, just they're gonna hold tight to it. They're gonna hold tight. To, they got a tight fist. They're hold on to everything. It's mine. It's not yours. And if you want to use it, get your own. I had an uncle. I was just telling. Sometimes I think about what I say, and then I think, oh, they might watch this on YouTube. But whatever. I had an uncle that had a boat. And it was always funny to me because anytime we like used it, he acted as if we owed him something. Or like if he wanted to use it and we went with him, and, and I once heard him say this, he go, Well, you know, gas ain't free. And I just thought, man, that's such a poor attitude. It's like he has this thing to bless people with. And then when the opportunity comes to bless people with, he's like, Well, come on, cough it up. And sometimes that's the way we are. And sometimes I understand that there are times where, you know, we want to make sure people give their worth and, and give what they can to help people. But how many know that as Christians, we are called to bless people? 
And God has blessed us with the ability to bless people. Listen, how many know that Christians who don't like to give, to be honest, they're kind of selfish, really selfish, usually pretty petty, and honestly, just not great people to be around. I once heard it this way. Jesus gave his all. Why are you giving less? Jesus gave his all. Why are you giving less? Now, again, this isn't just about money. We're not talking just about funds. We're talking about service to the Lord. It's said that 10 to 20% of the church does 80 to 90% of the work. Why? Because the other 80 to 90% don't do anything. They come to the church, they sit in the chairs, they eat the coffee, drink the donuts, and they leave. You know what I mean. 80 to 90% of the church. You say, Pastor David, you keep talking away that way. I won't come here anymore. Well, you don't do anything anyway. It's not a huge loss. We want Christians and believers who understand. Come on. Some people are laughing right now. They're like, oh, he's getting in it. We want Christians and believers to understand what it means to give, what it means to share, what it means to be a part of koinonia. Christian fellowship and communion. We need to understand our Father's heart for His children. How many know our Father's heart gives all? And when we don't understand our Father's heart, the truth is there are consequences. And that brings us to where we are in Acts chapter 5. The account of the husband and wife team known as Ananias and Sapphira. How many, how many know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Some may know it, some may not. If you've never heard the account, listen closely because this is pretty incredible. So Acts 5, verses 1 through 4, it says this. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, keep that in mind, husbands, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You have not lied to man, but to God. So here's how this goes. The people of the early church are giving to the cause and each other. They're giving to the kingdom and each other. Many of them have homes, they have land, they have property that they are selling off. Now, it's important to note uh, they're not selling off everything at once, but probably piece by piece as the need arises. Hallelujah. Piece by piece, as the need arises, and they bring this offering to the disciples. Now, it's noted that this was not a command. This is not a command of the early church. 
This is not Peter standing in front and saying, you need to give all you have. You need to sell everything and bring it to the church. That is not what was happening here. The Holy Spirit was moving upon these people to sell off their property and give it to the church. They did this freely of themselves. Now, we saw at the end of chapter 4 that there was a man named Joseph, and he sold his land, and he brought the money to the apostles, and he laid it at their feet. Remember that? Just a couple verses ago. So this man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they do the same thing. They sell a piece of property, but rather than bring the whole amount to the disciples, they hold back some from the, for themselves. Rather, Listen, rather than bring the whole, they held back some. The wording here is not just that they held back, but that they stole that money. Now, it's interesting because Ananias comes, he brings his offering to Peter, and lays it at his feet. The connotation here is that Ananias was presenting the offering as if it was his all. He was acting as if, yep, I sold that piece of property, and 100% of it I'm giving to the church. Hallelujah. And Peter, being filled with the Spirit, Peter, hearing from the Holy Spirit, speaks to him a spiritual gift that we call the Word of Knowledge. Now, so he lays the money down, and all of a sudden, Peter says this, Ananias, Satan has filled your heart. This word of knowledge, this word, in case you're not aware of what this means, it simply means this, that the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter the truth of what Ananias had done. So in the Pentecostal church, we used to call this reading their mail. Boy, that guy just read his mail. Which means we have no earthly way of knowing what we know, but through the Holy Spirit, Peter knew what was happening in his life. Ananias, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to steal for yourself part of the proceeds. And then he says this. This is, this is what's interesting. While the land was unsold... Wasn't it yours? And listen, when you sold the land, you could have done whatever you wanted with it. There was no requirement of the church that you give 100%. There was no requirement of the early church that they give 100%. But Ananias walked up and presented it as if he had given 100%. So what was Ananias' sin? How many know he greed? That was a sin for sure, right? How many know he lied? That's a sin. But what was his number one sin? Anybody? His heart? What? Who said pride? Pride. His number one sin was pride. One commentator noted this. Ananias wasn't required to give all. He just wanted to make it look like he gave all. And that's the sin of pride. This sin is imitated in many ways today. We can create or allow the impression that we are people who read the Bible or we are people who worship or we are people who pray when in reality we aren't. 
But we create the reality. We come to church and we present ourselves as these great and powerful leaders. We create the impression that we have it all together when the truth is you don't. We create the impression. So we exaggerate our spiritual accomplishments. We exaggerate the effectiveness we have in order to appear as something we are not. It is too easy to be happy with the image of a spiritual life without the reality of a spiritual life. It is too easy to be happy with the image of a spiritual life without the reality of a spiritual life. Peter looks at Ananias and says, you have not lied to man, but to God. And then we see what happens next. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. A great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men rose up and they wrapped him up and they carried him out and they buried him. Ananias hears the words of Peter and he died. Does anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? He died. Dead. He kicked the bucket. He croaked. He bit the dust. He checked out. I don't know how many more euphemisms I have for death. He's pushing up daisies. He's six feet under. Did I already say that one? He's dead. Ananias is dead. And some may say, Pastor David, isn't that kind of extreme? I mean, this guy, hey, hey, by the way, New Testament. Let me remind you, New Testament. People a lot of times walk around, well, we're in the New Testament. We're walking in grace, baby. Just walking in grace, doing what we want, walking in grace. New Testament, judgment of God on Ananias. So many times we're very happy with the image of a spiritual life. Pastor David, I mean, this guy died because of pride? I mean, that's not good, right? I mean, he lied. That's bad. But he had to die. We'll get back to that in a minute, right? What about his wife? Remember his wife, Sapphira? Right? So she's in on it too. And listen, while all this is happening, she's not there. I don't know where she is. Maybe she's shopping with the money. I don't know. But we don't know where she is. But for three hours, she's gone. And what we do know is that when she shows up, she has no idea of what's happened to her husband. None. Verse 7 says this. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, tell me whether, oh, got that. She said, yes, for so much. Okay, that's where we're going to stop it there. you got to appreciate the setup here. She walks in and not having an eye, a clue what's going on. Her husband's dead. He's already buried. She comes in three hours later. 
Peter gives her an out. Peter gives her a chance to come clean. Tell me if it was for this amount. And then without hesitation, it seems, she goes, yep, it's for this amount. So it's only fitting since she took place in the same lie, she took place in the same deceit, and she took in the same pride. It's only fitting she has the same consequence. Verse 9. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. She died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear, say great fear, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's an incredible account with more than a few lessons in it. But again, we come to the question of the extreme nature of the consequences. Both lied, both died. That's a good one. But isn't that a bit too much? I mean, Pastor David, what about grace? Well, the first thing we need to understand is this. This is important. There's no indication that they weren't saved. A lot of times we think about Ananias and Sapphira. If you've you've read this throughout your Christian history, throughout your uh, Christian life, you go, oh yeah, I mean, these must have just been people that were, you know, they weren't believers. The fact is they were believers. They were part of the early church. They They weren't willing to give all, but they gave some. They were giving some to the cause. And so there's no indication here that they weren't saved. Their greed and their pride led to their death, but we have no indication about their eternity. And we leave that to God. Amen? Second thing is this. If we in the church or the modern church are appalled by the extreme consequence, it's because we have no understanding of the devastating consequences of sin. We have no understanding of the devastating consequences of compromise. This was only the beginning of the church. This was the beginning of the ecclesia. The beginning of the body of Christ in the world. And compromise would not be tolerated. Keep in mind that it wasn't Peter who killed them. He only spoke what the Holy Spirit revealed to him. This was God's judgment on them because their goal was to compromise the body of Christ. This was God's judgment on them. And I want us to stay here for a moment and think about that. How often do we compromise? In our faith, in our relationships, in our marriages, in what we claim to hold sacred. How often do we compromise? I talked to somebody about this earlier today, and I didn't know if I was going to be sure to mention it. But in truth, it has been on my mind and heart all night long. 
And before I was going to mention it, I made sure to pray about it and say, Lord, is this the appropriate time? It seems there was a young man in this community who got married yesterday, or I would say he was uh, by the state married, a young homosexual man. And according to the state, he got married to another man. Now, we understand that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that anything outside of one man and one woman is a counterfeit to what real marriage is. It is absolutely a counterfeit. And I will say this, it is demonic. And yet it was posted onto Facebook. And Christians who claim to love the Lord celebrated the destruction of this man's soul. And the truth is we are called to have compassion and love for those who struggle with homosexuality. We are called to minister God's love and purpose to those who struggle with sexuality. Whether it be uh, gay, lesbian, transgender, whatever it may be, we are called to have compassion for them. And we want to minister God's love to them. But we should not celebrate in them giving themselves over to the demonic. And as Christians, we have compromised. How can we claim to hold these things sacred when we don't hold them sacred? And I know it's hard preaching, and I know there's some in here who are hearing this and are affected by it. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict you and convince you of righteousness. One person said, and, and I'm not going to say who, but it was very, very good. I said, I, rather than celebrate, uh, to celebrate with them, I should have just said, I, I pray that God blesses you. Because we want God to move in their lives. Amen? We want God to move upon them and, and draw them to Christ and lead them away from destruction and away from sin and towards righteousness. But we cannot compromise our faith because of culture. We cannot celebrate what the Bible calls an abomination. And we cannot, as Christians, celebrate what is demonic. In the Gospel of John, John shares what was happening with some of the people who believe in Jesus. How many people here would say, I believe in Jesus? Amen? Here's what was happening to these people. It said this in John 12, 42 through 43. It says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. That is Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Because of fear. They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes out from God. When you love the glory from man more than the glory of God, you are compromised. 
1933, the German Christian church became a part of the Nazi propaganda machine. Churches in Germany that began to bow down to the political power that was coming from Hitler. The political pressure was coming, and they were just bowing down. But out of that came a movement of believers that refused to be a part of it. And here's what they were called, the confessing Christians. And they were part of what was called the confessing church movement. Out of 18,000 pastors in Germany at the time, less than 5,000 joined this movement of those who would adhere to the Word of God no matter what the political pressure was. You see, all churches today can be put into one of two groups. Are we a confessing church or are we a compromising church? Are you a confessing Christian or are you a compromised Christian? There's a few ways to tell the difference. Jenny, if you could come and play for a little bit. In the confessing church, We hold fast to the Word of God in spite of opposition. The confessing church holds fast to the Word of God in spite of opposition. The compromising church alters the Word of God because of, because of opposition. In the confessing church, Christ is over culture. In the compromising church, it lifts culture over Christ. In our life, in our walk, in our desire to reach people for the Lord, are we compromising culture? Or are we compromising Christ over culture? The confessing church is a minority view when it comes to government. The compromising church wants to be mainstream in both church and state. The confessing church will be penalized. The compromising church will be applauded. Number six. Stand with me this morning. The confessing church desires the praise of God. The compromised church desires the praise of men. My question this morning is, are we confessing? Or are we compromised? Now, I, I want you to, for a moment, stop thinking about the church as an organization. It's just, this is a church. And think about the church as you and me. I want you to think about your own life this morning. And so I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just focus in on you. 
are you a confessing believer or are you a compromised believer or are you holding back to yourself what you believe is secret like Ananias and Sapphira you're you're holding back what you believe is secret or are you at the place where you are ready to confess your sin before God and find forgiveness at the cross The truth is this, there's coming a day when the compromise will no longer find grace. We aren't there yet, and for that we can be thankful, but it is a day that is coming and soon. And the truth is this, my encouragement to you this morning is that you have the opportunity this morning to confess and repent and live in the truth of who Christ is in your life. You can stop pretending to be perfect and have it all together. Stop pretending. Can I share something with you this morning? I'm not perfect. Right? And just like we shared earlier, listen, I don't have it all together. There's times when I have compromised. And yes, I have not achieved. I have not perfected. But I'm so glad Christ has. And if you are in Christ, your sins are washed away. If I am in Christ, my sins are washed away. And I'm defined not by my sin, but I'm defined by his righteousness. What are you defined by this morning? Are we confessing or are we compromised? Are you defined by your sin or are you defined by his righteousness? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for a word that moves me. You have to understand that before I preached it to you, God preached it to me. And so, Lord, I thank you for moving me towards a place that's away from compromise and towards confession. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a confessing church and not a compromised church that those in this church, those who are watching online, those who call themselves a part of the body of Christ would not be compromised in their faith, would not bow down to culture, but would exalt Christ above everything. You say, Pastor David, I don't like that part of the Bible. I don't think it should be there. Who are you to judge God Almighty? You need to stop it and get right. You need to repent of your sin. Well, I just don't agree that that should be in the Bible. I mean, look at what's happening today. That's stupid. Stop it. Repent. Get right. You say, Pastor David, you're using strong language. Please understand the devastating effects of compromise. 
Pastor David, why would God take down Ananias and Sapphira? Isn't that kind of extreme? Yeah. It is. It's an extreme response to an extreme sin. And when we stop thinking of sin as extreme, we have become compromised. Well, I just don't see it that way. Lord, open their eyes in Jesus' name. May, I, may my eyes be opened. May our hearts be confessing. And may our church be confessing of who you are in all your glory that you would be lifted high no matter what culture tells us. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them, that you would convince them and convict them. That you would convict them of sin and convince them of righteousness. I pray this morning that you speak to us. Not just today, not just right now, but throughout this week. And that we would be open to your leading in our lives. We pray this in your holy, righteous, and exalted name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a tough message. It's not an easy one. But we love you. was really as I was thinking about all the different things that were happening you know as believers when people fall into sin our hearts should break our hearts should break our compassion should, should swell and as a pastor, when I see things happening in the church, my heart was broken. And so I said to my wife, I just, I, I have to preach truth and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen. And so let us be open to his presence this morning. Amen. Let us be open throughout the week and moving forward. And Lord, I pray that you would move upon us in a mighty way so that we may confess your glory in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Listen, uh, youth group is at six. Remember, there's uh, forms and things like that for the party. And Other than that, uh, God bless you. We love you. Enjoy your week, and we'll see you next week.